0: i'm coach tony miller and you're listening to a quick timeout podcast we have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game welcome into a quick timeout the show with expert interviews from top basketball coaches around the world on this episode, we're talking trackable data and how we use that data to better design our practices and also to improve the physical and mental performance of our players. Joining me tonight is Stetson Hatter's video coordinator, Andrew Wingreen. Coach, welcome back. Thanks, Tony. Good to be here. If you listen to Coach Wingreen and I talked before, you probably know that he and I were on the same staff for my first few years as a college basketball coach. And I've seen him firsthand do a great job with a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about tonight. So, Andrew, why don't you just kind of go ahead and lead us off right away. What's some of the most important things that you all track if you want to give us like your top one and we can kind of go from there? You
1: no, know, obviously, there's so many charts that that you hear coaches do within their programs. And I think there's so many good stats and analytics to track, whether it's in in practice or in a game. But I know for me, you know, and I think we talked about this a lot when we we're on the same staff is making sure that we're charting things that are directly applicable to what we're trying to do whether it, you know we can track just traditional stats but sometimes that doesn't tell the full story so just finding the things that are right for your program that make it work whether it's your defensive or offensive philosophy um, just make sure you really figure that out but i know for me and one thing that we we chart here at stetson and it's a stat that i've really kept track of for probably the last five or six years is defensive closeout distance and just how tightly we can test shots and I think that's a really powerful analytic to track and chart both in practice and in the games Um, and I think it directly translates to winning.
0: I'll go back to something that you said a little bit earlier. We become enamored maybe as coaches with all the potential things that we can track. You know, I see coaching staffs when I'm watching college basketball games in particular, where you've got six or seven guys sitting there with pads of paper that are writing down. I think they're writing down something worthwhile. I'm not entirely sure if that's the case. But what exactly are you tracking? You can track a million different things. But especially for us, you know when we worked on the same staff, there was three of us, a head coach and then two assistants. You know what are you going to do with your limited resources? What are the things that are the most important things to track? And like you said, those are things that should be directly correlated to what matters most to you. It could be something that slightly changes from week to week. I've found that like one week maybe we're emphasizing one thing in practice or it could be scout connected. So something connected to um, that particular opponent, or like I said, something that we've been working on that maybe we wanted to see improvement in one area. I'm I'm thinking even, you know, in this topic with our closeout distance um, this last week, we have another, we have a GA that helps us and something to, to kind of help him see the importance of it. But then also it was just kind of freed me up to not have to keep track of it. But he was keeping track of this. And it was cool to see him, even as he tracked it kind of, his eyes open to what it can do uh, and i don't know if you have those there with you andrew but do you have the numbers of the different distances and some of the trends that you've seen
1: yeah i don't have the numbers uh right in front of me but i have a you know i've done this for the last few years uh, first of all i can't believe that you guys have a ga now and i'm wondering <laughs> what other kind of stuff you're making this kid do because I, I know for sure you're, you're passing a lot off to him but As far as the defensive closeout distance goes, the the way I track it is using the distance of zero to two feet, two to four feet, and anything over four feet. So when I say those numbers, the time when I'm contesting a shot where my hand placement is to where the ball is when it's leaving the shooter's hand, that's the distance I'm trying to track. So obviously those zero to two closeouts are what we're really striving for because in the college basketball game, a closeout that zero to two feet teams are shooting anywhere from 22 to 24 percent you know if you can tightly contest a shot 22 to 24 percent is is all you're giving up uh in the two to four range you're at about 31 to 33 so it's still a good closeout if you can get two to four but you know a lot of shooters are still going to be able to hit those and anything over four plus is over 47 percent. so really what we try and stress to our guys is You know, the closer you can contest a shot, the better our defensive field goal percentage is going to be. And it's really mind-boggling, honestly, how different those percentages are. So just making a little bit extra effort to take a maybe a four-foot contested shot and turn that into a -a two-and-a-half-foot contested shot could drastically change the chances that that ball is going to go in the rim. So um, you know, it, it gives us an opportunity to stress, you know, our effort on defense, our closeouts, our rotations. And just being able to to really make it as difficult as possible for the shooter.
0: And then the practical side of it, I'm assuming not just how uh, the amount of time that you spend on closeouts, but then even what you're emphasizing to the players about that distance within. Has it changed anything beyond that as far as how you practice?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know it. Like I said, it directly correlates to winning. And when when guys can understand that their effort makes a difference. And it starts turning into wins or you start seeing yourself competing in games that maybe you shouldn't be competing in. um, I do think that it impacts the mindset and, you know, some other things we chart are our hustle stats. So diving on the floor for loose balls, deflections, things like that. You know, when we start enhancing our players effort and they see how effort leads to winning. You know, it increases all these other opportunities, not only to to close out better, but to dive on the floor, to get deflections, to go crash the offensive glass. And it's it's what we like to call winning plays. You know, a great closeout is a winning play and a deflection is a winning play. An offensive rebound is a winning play. And so I think the more opportunities we can show that our guys uh, to our guys that winning plays, you know, make a difference. Um, I think that's huge.
0: All right. Number two, this is uh, one that we have really emphasized this year. So uh, we're a pace and space team. And so we're basically trying to create space on the floor so that we can create advantages with every single offensive possession. And, And this one has been really big for us this year. It's not necessarily something that we count how many times it happens over the course of a game, but it is something that we're actively looking for on every single possession and trying to stay away from, and that is driving single gaps. So Uh, Maybe for those that don't understand the terminology, you've got your positions for a traditional. You have the top of the key, maybe you have your slots or you go straight to the wings and then you have the corners. So the position between, for instance, the wing and the corner, that's a single gap. There's not a lot of room if you start to put the ball on the ground to try to drive to the basket between you and then the player that's next to you. And then obviously, the defender that's guarding your teammate. And I think this is even more emphasized as teams kind of start to sit in gaps a little bit more. You know, I think, think of the old ball denial teams where they'd get out in the passing lanes and that kind of thing. This is different from the standpoint that, you know, most teams are now kind of sitting back, you have more pack line teams. So driving single gaps for us. And also with the cuts that we're making we're not making traditional like basket cuts the single gaps kind of become even more prominent and more obvious and it is something that I don't I don't know uh, you can tell players about it but they don't necessarily understand it so I would encourage you I think the practical side for us is as we watch film with our players um, even though they know what single gaps are they still will a lot of times try to try to drive those single gaps But if you can show them driving the opposite direction to where the space is created it's much easier to create advantages. You stay away from getting the deflections and the, the tips when you put the ball on the ground. So um, single gaps has been a, a really big one for us.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, you know, obviously in your offense, those those uh, single gaps are super important. And like in our offense, just to something that we we do a lot of is ball screens. And so, you know, we like to chart our screening and how, you know, whether it's a, a screen that makes zero contact, a screen that maybe is decent, but doesn't really get anybody open or a screen that you just, you know, lay a body on somebody and get somebody wide open either to create a play or to score. And so, you know, in our offense, we're really charting our bigs and our guards on, on how well they're setting screens and, and what we're doing, what the result is out of those. So, you know, again, that that just goes to catering to what your philosophy is on whichever side of the ball you're trying to work on. But uh, for you guys, it's those single gaps. For us, it's, you know, screening and just something that we're, we're looking for.
0: Uh, third one here is stops in a row. I think a lot of coaches, maybe you've heard of this being called as like a kill. Um, I've heard of him being a turkey before. If you're familiar with PGC and Coach TJ Rosine, he calls these bricks. All referring to the same thing here. It's getting three defensive stops in a
1: row. Obviously for, I think for any team, but especially teams who are defensive-minded, that's a way to, to make runs. Obviously, in basketball, it's a game of runs. And if you don't get stops, you can't really go on those. So I know we just had a game the other night where we went on a scoring spree. I think we scored seven or eight straight possessions. And I think four of those possessions were three-pointers. So I, I don't can't do the math off the top of my head, but we scored a significant amount of points in a row. But on the other end of the ball we gave up the exact same it was seven straight possessions that we gave up and we didn't get any stops in there so an opportunity where we were executing great on offense we were doing all the right things you know and we couldn't get stops you know that can be demoralizing because you feel like you're playing well on one end but on the other end you can't do anything about it so making sure that we track these things is, is crucial because I, I found when you get three stops in a row and if you can keep uh, stacking on top of those stops. Um, you're, you're bound to score sooner or later and you go on runs and it's huge and it, it impacts the mentality of your team. It brings energy, gives a jolt. I used to always call those turkeys when we were at Bob Jones here at Stetson, we call them kills. But again, it just it gives a mindset to our team just to lock in, you know, get in the stance, make sure we're focused on our helpline. You know our communication is top notch, and if we're really striving to, you know, get these three stops in a row, and we're preaching that in timeouts, and it's a it's a focus for us. I think our guys are better equipped and better prepared to go out there and do the things that we've been working on on the defensive end.
0: Have you found that if you get a certain number of turkeys or kills, that you have any kind of percentage of wins or anything like that?
1: I don't have any hard data to prove one way or the other, um, like I do with the defensive closeout stuff, but. You know, I found our goal usually is seven kills a game, which a lot of times seven is tough to get. But in those games where we do get seven, good things happen. Um, I know the other night we were in a tight game. We lost by seven, but we only had five kills in the game. And you just wonder, Mm -hmm. man, if we could have got just that one or two extra stops to get three in a row, and, you know, that could be a whole game changer. So um, I think seven is kind of that number that we shoot for. I don't know if, you know, that could be different for – Uh, style of play or different teams how they play but um, seven is kind of that that golden number that we look at
0: I'm sure it is different for different styles but seven seems to be the magic number that's uh, I think for us if we get about six if we get six kills or something like there's a 70 percent or higher chance that we win Um, if that's seven I think it bumps up to like 90 percent I was talking to uh, Jack Castleberry the associate head coach over at Citadel the other day And he said that they aim for seven. So as far as like what that does for our program, as far as like how we practice that beyond the obvious and what Coach Wingreen said there, we actually have a drill that's called hunting turkeys. And we just say hunting turkeys and it kind of fires the guys up to Coach Wingreen's point there. They love trying to get the three stops in the row and it really makes your practices much more competitive. So the way that we run that is the team, they always want to be on defense first. And so if they get a stop and then another stop and another stop, they get a point on the scoreboard. And so we we'll usually play that for anywhere between 10 to 12 minutes. And the user, you, the winner usually has one or two uh, turkeys in that period of time. So it's not something they're hard to come by. Um, it really fires the guys up. You know, everybody always wants to play offense. But with this drill, they want to hurry up and score so they can play defense. And for a lot of coaches, I know that can be difficult to get your players to play defense. But I found that this is one way to kind of get them excited for it. So
1: I think that's great. Anytime we can do drills and practice that emphasize the defensive end, getting stops, um, I think is great. So, you know, competing in practice is such a key if you want you guys to go out and compete in a game. And, you know, obviously we we play the typical five on five games or whatever and you keep score traditionally on a scoreboard, twos and threes. But I think anytime you can add an element of, hey, three stops in a row is two points, or you have to get a stop in order to you know, get the ball back or just whatever, whatever you can do to emphasize. Um, We we do a game called Hunger Games, and it's just kind of a a half court uh, drill that's that's fast paced, but every once in a while we'll kind of throw in the only way you can score is by getting stops. Uh, If you don't get stops, then you can't get points. So um, just kind of be, you, you know, be creative with whatever you're trying to emphasize. Like we talked about earlier in the show, you know, your point of emphasis, if it's defense and getting stops make your competitions and practice about defense and getting stops. If your emphasis is about, you know, not turning the ball over, make your scoring have to do with turning the ball over, you know, minus two for a turnover or if a post feed gets deflected because you didn't step around. It's minus one, just different things like that. Get creative with what you chart, when you chart it directly correlated with the emphasis you're trying to bring support for a quick timeout podcast
0: is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Dish basketball. College and professional teams from around the country rely on Dr. Dish shooting machines to help improve their players' development. Whether it's in the gym or at home in your driveway, Dr. Dish will improve your basketball workouts. To find out more about how Dr. Dish can help your program, visit drdishbasketball.com. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats, in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to learn more. All right, number four. This one is not very impressive, and uh, it may not sound very impressive, but it's been really important for us. I know a lot of coaches are always looking for ways to improve in this area, and it's just simply by keeping track uh, of the number of turnovers. You know, for us, a goal, we're a fast-paced team. I know everybody says that they like to get up and down the floor. We really do. And when you play fast, there is the potential for you to to commit a lot of turnovers, especially if you haven't worked or you don't regularly work on decision-making. So for us early on this year, you know, we would love to be around 10 turnovers, but realistically a challenging goal. But. Still, one that is achievable is around 13. So we want to have under 13 turnovers, or at the at the most 13 turnovers. I know every coach is wanting to limit their turnovers, but you may not know how to. I, I think sometimes it's just stop making bad passes, but that doesn't really help players. So, the number one thing for us has been really analyzing the turnovers. How are we committing the turnovers? Uh, some questions that we ask ourselves and our players is is was was it maybe a an error or a problem with footwork, and so we've really worked on our footwork is it something decision-making ie are they not reading you know the second line and the third line of defenders is it something maybe that they're they are just playing too fast or they're trying to rush things so those are some of the questions that we ask Andrew may have some more here but you know as far as implementing this in practice some things that I would suggest and this is something that somebody just suggested to me is to to make your turnovers weighty and so in a practice if a kid commits a turnover in one of your scoring Sessions where you're maybe just scoring things normally, twos and threes. If they commit a turnover, then subtract three points. Threes are obviously a lot of times hard to come by, and you commit a turnover and it immediately negates that last three that you just made. And so it kind of puts more weight on those turnovers. Um, We'll also sometimes have them do like a physical consequence. So they'll maybe have to go over and make a pass to a manager or whatever with a heavy ball. Sometimes we'll make them push a towel or whatever, but you know, any number of, of consequences that you can make. But I would really. Encourage you to look at your film. It's also changed the way that we've watched film with our players. You know, I'm not going in and just watching a string of turnovers and and saying at the end of it, like, we got to be better. You know, really pointing out what could have been done. Is it something that, you know, IQ wise, we should have read a player differently or should have slowed down or whatever I just mentioned before. But I know that's a broad topic and not super helpful because probably a lot of people chart turnovers, but the application of it has really been helpful for us and and helpful in limiting our turnovers this year in a lot of games.
1: You know, turnovers can happen so many different ways and there's so many factors to it, but there's very few teams out there who at will can create turnovers. You know, I think back a few ten or however many years ago that was with VCU and and Shaka's defense, like they were so good at creating turnovers. Rick Pitino's press so good at creating turnovers. West Virginia a few years ago, like they could turn you over. But there's very few teams that are capable of doing that on a night to night basis, and more often than not, turnovers are due to our own mistakes and things that we can control and and you mentioned it before like our footwork how are we pivoting how are we ripping the ball through just simple simple mechanics of fundamental basic skills can often lead to turnovers if you don't do it right Um, not seeing or not understanding that the defense is overplaying and just cutting a hard cut to the rim in order to maybe get a backdoor pass or to just open the floor up for somebody else uh, to fill that spot but Oftentimes, it's just little things like that 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 make a huge difference in our turnovers, and I know when I was a head coach, and I got this, I can't remember actually who I got it from, but they would blow, you know, like 10 balloons up for each team, and every time you got a turnover, you would, you know, one of the managers or somebody would pop a balloon, so it was a, you know, kind of a fun thing, but it was also You know, something that you would hear and everyone in the gym would know a turnover just happened. You didn't want to be that guy that turned the ball over to hear a balloon pop. And it's just another way, a fun way of tracking and charting uh, your turnovers in practice that can uh, just be a memorable and uh, something that guys can can remember. Yeah, there was one very similar to that. I think probably some have done where they put the, they have a
0: rack of balls over on the side. And if you run out of balls for every turnover, you lose a ball. Once the balls are off the rack, there's some sort of consequence that the guys have to do. So that could be another uh, way to kind of visibly keep track of it and put a little extra pressure on, uh, on players during the course of practice if they know they've only got four or five basketballs that they got to get to play with there. All right, fifth and final one. This is the last one that we'll do tonight, and it is one that I think I did get this from Coach Wingreen. He suggested that we talk about it tonight. Can you kind of talk about the four-minute segments? And I know you know this may be different for our high school coaches that are listening to this, but still most likely they're playing in somewhere around four potentially several four minute segments. Can you kind of talk about playing in these uh, four minute segments and
1: the the mini games that they create? you know Division one basketball we have media timeouts every four minutes, so I think the first time that you know this kind of crossed our minds was actually when I was at Bob Jones and I think we were going into play. Uh, USC Upstate, and I think the the practice before we played them, we're like, man, how can we prepare for this Division One game? Because it's not something we typically had. We didn't have media timeouts at that level. Um, I know sometimes Division Twos, Division Threes will have media timeouts at certain certain places, but it's not always four minutes. But you know, we're like, how can we do this? So we broke practice up into four minute segments. We would do uh, maybe a shell drill for four minutes. We would do our transition drill for four minutes. We would do uh, you know, who knows what for four minutes. And we we did 10 four-minute segments in practice, and that was how we prepared just to get our minds ready, like, hey, we have to win these four minutes. Fast forward to, you know, to today, uh, that's something we keep track of. You know, I, I always hand the, the clipboard to Coach Jones at timeouts, and every media timeout I write on the, the top right of the clipboard what the four-minute score was for the previous four minutes so we can see, okay, we won that four minutes seven to five. Uh, that was a good four minutes for us. Or, hey, we just we just let them go on a 6-0 run, and we lost 8-1 to uh, in those four minutes. And it just kind of gives us this narrow perspective of, okay, what just happened? And for the next four minutes, we need to focus on these things so we don't get beat like that again. And it just it just simplifies what we're trying to do. So, again, we're not focused on the outcome of the entire game. We're focused on doing the next right thing and winning these next four minutes. And I think, again, it just – you know, you hear me talk about mindset a lot, and I think all these things we chart, it just is to uh, create and make a habit out of our mindsets. And so these four-minute games, um, and you can do this even in high school or, or if you don't have media timeouts, just you know the game's going to have stoppages. You know that there's going to be timeouts called. So, you know, just simplify it into smaller bits, and I think your guys will be able to focus better. Uh, they're going to be focused on the next play, not necessarily, oh, shoot, we're down by 10 this isn't good but if you're down by 10 and there's still you're at the under 16 minute timeout in the second half like hey if we win the next four games by two points or three points we're right there so you know you break it down into little bits um and it just gives guys a different perspective on the game
0: yeah i think the key word is focus you know when we did this especially i'm thinking back to that usc upstate game every time they come back to the huddle You know their focus is what did we do right okay how can we and it it just allows you to kind of refocus on the things that you need to i think even going back to the turnover thing if you think about we're only going to have 10 turnovers well i can only commit one turnover every four-minute segment so when we come back to the huddle you know great job guys you know there were no turnovers you know and then two four-minute segments later maybe they commit two turnovers that's all right that's all right we're still on pace um so you can you can track whatever is most important to you within those four-minute segments and it just like like you said, allows you to be able to kind of refocus your players on what they need to do within that four minutes. And I, you know, I just I just remember back to I think you texted me the other day and said, wasn't it just like six years ago already? Wasn't it five or six years ago, something like that? I think that, so. We, we won that game, by the way, everybody. You know, it was cool. Over the course of that game, I just remember every time they came back to the huddle, we communicated to them not just the score, but what we had done well within those four minute segments. And I think over the course of the the game we ended up winning at least two more segments than they did and staying close and tying tying those segments and whatever it just kind of you come back and tell them you won that segment or you you tied that segment and it kind of re-energizes them you know we have a shot here and it eventually, like you said, led to led to a win. All right, so there are five trackable data points and some ways in which you can use those to improve your players' performance and your team's performance. Hopefully you got maybe a nugget or two there uh, to use maybe with your program. If there's anything maybe that you track with your team that we didn't mention, but that you think would be helpful to coaches, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on Twitter. It's probably the fastest and easiest way to get hold of us. You can find me at Tony W. Miller. Coach Wingreen is at Coach Wingreen. We'd love to hear from you. Appreciate all of you who joined us live tonight and those of you who are listening on the replay for Andrew Wingreen. I'm Tony Miller. We'll talk to you again at the next time out. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.